get started, we would like to say that there is a trigger warning that comes along with hanging out with the Sigma Biddies, that there will be topics of conversation around mental health and chronic illness, and there may be topics of conversation that may be hard to be a part of. Thanks for coming back this week. We're sorry we missed you last week, but we are back here and we are ready to talk about loss and kind of in a general topic, grieving both the still living and those who have passed on. Um, this was a request. So if there are any topics that you would like us to talk about, please reach out to us and let us know. We're more than happy to cover them. Do you want me to just jump right in to my feelings about this topic? Um, yes, because I, like I said, right before we jumped on mine, I don't feel like I ever properly even got the chance to grieve like my losses. So for me, minor, minor living grieving processes. So yes, you dive into this one. Okay. We definitely will touch on that because that's like, that's a really important thing to talk about that I think does not get a lot of validation, but my loss started very young. Um, when I was 13, my best friend's dad passed away and I had my first experience with an open casket, um, completely unprepared. I had a family who was very emotionally unavailable and unintelligent. So honestly, I, I don't feel like I had the proper things to process. So I didn't really get to process a lot of this stuff until my adulthood. But just two years after that, uh, one of our best friends passed away. And then continually after that, I just continued to lose people. I've lost several classmates. I've lost two best friends to cancer. I've lost a lot of family members to death, as well as to no contact, which is what Jeannie is talking about. And, um, you know, honestly, I think I really, I, I'm thinking back to when I was 15 and when my best friend died. And no one in my life knew how to handle anything. They, they did not know how to support me. They did not know how to get me support. The extent of the support I got was that the school brought in a grievance counselor right after it had happened because my group of friends was severely struggling. Um, but then after that, I didn't receive any sort of support from anyone. And I was just expected to carry on and go forward with life. And being that young, you know, part of me was able to do that and, and move forward. And I did hold traditions with my friends for many years after her passing. But now you know, she's been gone longer than she was ever alive. And that's a really difficult thing to face, especially when, again, when I was a little bit older in my 20s, another best friend died of cancer again. And my family still did not know how to handle it and how to just let me grieve. I remember right after it happened, my sister came to visit with me. And I, I remember the like really breaking down and just sobbing for the first time in front of her. And she had to call my mom and ask her what to do. And neither of them knew what to do. And so I guess I'm hoping that by sharing that, I can help other people handle that situation with a little bit more grace so that people like me don't have to 
wait until they're in therapy to be able to process something like that. Um, honestly, the best blessing that I had and that was able to get me from that point to the point of being in therapy and being in treatment was my aunt who I've talked about before. And, and I think I've actually said the specific story before on the podcast is when, when my most recent best friend, Jenny was dying, everyone denied it. Everyone said, you can't think that way. You have to be positive. You know, you've got to be strong for her. My aunt was the only one who looked me right in the face and said, yes, she is going to die. And that hurts so bad to have someone validate what I knew was true. It hurt so bad, but it was the best gift I could have received for my grief because it shook me and it, it woke me up to do exactly what she told me to do, which was to create memories. And I did. I may have gone into debt and maxed out several credit cards to do it, <laughs> but I did. I threw on a huge Christmas. It was her last Christmas. I knew it would be, you know, her last birthday. I made a huge deal. I just made everything so special and made so many things happen. And I, I think that that was the best advice because that's, that's really all you can do in that situation. Um, you know, if I had just continued to be told like that I was wrong and that what I was believing, I would have been blindsided by her death and I really wouldn't have been able to process. I, there are still some things that I haven't been able to process, but, um, just having that, that awareness of, yes, this is actually happening. Like we know that there's, there's a clock. Um, having that time and having that enforcement from my aunt to say, yeah, like this is, this is really horrible, but you have a choice to make. You can either be in misery and you can be sitting in your pity and your wallow, or you can make memories with her. And I think that that is one of the reasons that I ended up in death work is having that exchange with my aunt, having another person be able to see the reality of life. Because when it comes to grief, when it comes to loss, we lose grip on reality so fast, whether it's our own reality or the reality of the situation. It's so easy to either catastrophize and bring it to the most extreme situation it can possibly develop into or to minimize it and pretend like what's happening is not happening. And I see that happen so much with people. And what I would really like to bring to this world is that awareness to be in the present with the people that we love. And that trans transferred into my everyday life. I, that isn't simply for when someone is dying, when I know someone is dying, because we don't always know. That lesson was able to transform for me into how I treat everyone in my life. You know, like you, I make sure 
I talk to you like almost every day, at least if it's a, hey, I love you, you know, just just to keep creating those memories with people and keep that engagement with people, especially during hard times like now, the holiday season, especially being no contact um, and still somewhat fresh. You know, you've got a few years on me with the no contact and we've had many conversations about that especially with my you know recent reach out that happened but it it just it's that that presence and being in the moment that i think allowed me to find acceptance for what was actually happening because i felt everything I, I didn't repress and I didn't hide it from everyone. I just, I felt, and after she did die, you know, this was obviously one of the more impactful losses, which is why I'm talking about it most significantly. I just, I just felt everything I had to feel. And I think that was one of the only losses that I was able to genuinely do that because I, I had nothing left in me. And that's unfortunate that I got to that point that I didn't have a choice anymore of how I was going to grieve. I wasn't able to manage my emotions at all. It was flooded all of the time. And I've had losses since, um, my grandpa recently passed away and I feel like this time I had a choice in how I was going to grieve and I had a perspective of the whole situation. I wasn't completely consumed by my emotions and I think what I'm trying to get at is that it's important to allow individuals to feel however they're going to feel and to not take it personally, however they may act out. You know, I, I certainly didn't make all of the best choices in that, in that time. You know, I, I was struggling with alcohol, which I ended up being two and a half years sober after that. And I made choices that hurt people I loved. You know, I, I said mean things and hurtful things to people but I got it all out and now I am able to talk about it just obviously I'm emotional about it and it still it still hurts me but I'm able to to talk about that situation where some of my other losses I'm really not capable of talking about them and I think it's kind of what you were speaking to and is that I didn't get to process them I had an instance where my great uncle and a very dear friend of mine that was kind of like a grandmother figure to me both died in the same week unexpectedly. And I didn't speak for three days. Literally couldn't utter a word. I was, now that I know I'm autistic, I can, I can understand what happened neurologically. I can understand what happened, but I was, there was no processing of that. It was that happened and I immediately made a life-changing decision to move back home and I immediately got into a relationship with someone 
and that was a really bad choice. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, I carried on for a couple of years, just not dealing with it and not knowing actually how I felt about life and just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. And so I just think that sharing my story, I, I hope people will give others in their life a safe space to feel their feelings, even if they're scary. I think that's probably the hardest part for me is that I was scary to people because I genuinely, Okay. I had no will to live. And it was obvious. And I really scared a lot of people. And it doesn't have to be like that. If we can have these conversations more and people can understand that sometimes when, when we are so overwhelmed by every emotion you can possibly imagine, things that come out of our mouth don't necessarily make sense and we don't necessarily mean them in the way that we say them. Because it, it genuinely was the people who, there's someone I'm no longer friends with who was just top tier in this, place in my life like she would just come over and hang out with me my cats we could talk or we could not talk we'd have food or we wouldn't have food whatever it was that I needed she was just there and I hope someday I get to let her know how much that meant because it was people like her that helped me get through that because I didn't have to pretend to be okay. I didn't have to pretend to accept it because I didn't. I still, to this day, don't accept what happened. Nor do I understand why, you know? Like there's never gonna be, for some people, especially people who struggle with mental illness, it's really hard to, here everything happens for a reason they're in a better place now blah 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 whatever society says you know everyone has heard them and everyone knows the phrases I'm talking about those are not helpful at all <laughs> um because they're not here and I'm not in a better place and I'm not out of pain I need to worry about me and what's going on with me because I'm still here. And that was something that it took me a really long, long time to understand that I still had to be responsible for myself. I still had to live life regardless of how sad I was. I'm really proud of you for being able to talk about it. <clears throat> I know that it's not easy whatsoever, and I'm not even going to pretend to understand what it's like. I have only just recently started to begin the journey within the last year of accepting emotions, and that it's 
it's actually physically mandatory to cry. <laughs> Your body needs that release. And being raised, you know, you better stop crying or I'll give you a reason to cry. Like mm-hmm. I shut that, shut those off a long time ago. And then not being raised around family or friends or, you know, whatever. The only funerals that we ever went to were people that we didn't know. We can count on one hand how many funerals we went to people that we knew, but we didn't have relationships with. So there was no emotional, especially even as a kid, like even as a child, I was not affected and, you know, hashtag childhood trauma, but I was just not affected by funerals. Um, My mom's mom, that woman loved me to no ends. And like, it was like, I did no wrong in her eyes. Like my mama, oh, oh my God. I just, I wish I had gotten more time with her. But she passed away in 05, and I didn't even know she was sick. She was living in Louisiana. I was in Mississippi, and I was just told one day that she was sick, and then three days later, she was in the ground, and I wasn't told about the funeral. I wasn't allowed to go. I wasn't like, so it was just like, she wasn't here, but she was here, and I never understood that. And even to this day, I'm 27 years old. Whenever I go back that way, I'll go by. And so many people, you should have heard the responses I got when I took my one-year-old to her grave. Because I I go at least once a year or try to anyway. Um, And I like to freshen up her stuff. And I'll go stop at the Dollar General that's right down the road and get a little card or whatever. You know, I just go fix her stuff up. Well, I brought my one-year-old and I took some pictures because he was just like super interested in her picture and like he would stop and kind of talk and um, I had posted a picture of him touching her picture on the tomb on the tombstone and people lost their minds that I had brought him out there like why what's so wrong about it it was on church property what is so wrong about him going out there like that was me introducing him to her because I don't want her forgotten because for me she's still alive Mm -hmm. she's still that that's her being here and I have no idea how to make it make sense beyond the only other form of loss that I have had to deal with is the living and that is what Al said the no contact and I'll never forget the day that I was told that I couldn't see my nieces anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole other thing, whole other story. And that just, at this point, me, God, and them know the truth. Mm-hmm. But the day I was told that I couldn't see my nieces, I remember just like, it was like a vein had snapped in my chest. And I freaked out I started crying I was wailing I couldn't breathe I was having a panic attack and I remember calling Jacob and saying is this what it feels like when somebody dies and he just got quiet and he said honestly I believe this hurts worse because you know that they're right down the road and you can't go see them and I just remember losing it all over again I had to pull over on the side of the road like I I couldn't drive anymore at that point um And I just remember for a week straight, I just played this one song on repeat and we just kind of did the bare minimum around here until I was able to 
kind of pick myself back up and keep yeah. moving yeah. on. And even now, like I'll have moments like one of them text me not too long ago. And I, at this point, because of how much has been said and done, I don't even know if it's the niece texting me. Mm-hmm. So I just very generically responded, but I spent the whole next, the whole rest of the day. And even the next day, I was just in this mental like funk because for the last year, it's been nothing. And, and you know, it without knowing any details, which you're not going to get out of me right now, just, I no, it's very much a, well, you're the adult. Why don't you put forth the effort? Like those are your nieces. You're been there, done that, tried it. It's near impossible to have a relationship with a child when you do not have respect for their parent. And it's not even about not having respect. It's about it's about the fact that I try to have adult conversations mm-hmm. and all you want to do is argue. Yep. I'm trying to have the very conversations that you are screaming that we're not having, but you won't quit screaming long enough. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep answering 11 PM to midnight drunk fun phone calls. I'm not going to keep receiving text messages telling me just complete and utter lies and trying to continue to shred apart a family that has been shred apart for years. Mm -hmm. Why make a worse situation worse? Why? I don't want to be a part of that. So me not wanting to be a part of that. Cool. When they come asking questions in a few years, I'll, I'll be here. I hope I get to see them. And that's, that's honestly what gets me through at this point is that hope. I just hope and pray and just any moment that they cross my mind, it could be the simplest thing. They're, one of, one of the girls, um, there was this little unicorn horse, like plushy toys. Now, every time I see unicorns, like, it's like, I think of her specifically and I'm just like, you know what? one day maybe mm-hmm. and I just keep going and that's me trying to process that's me trying to deal because the only other deaths like physical deaths in my life I wasn't told about the funeral there was one aunt that like I had a and she wasn't even my actual aunt um loved me I loved her she taught me to play skip bow like I just loved that woman I didn't know till two years after the fact that she mm-hmm. had died. Well, Jeannie, why didn't you know till two years? Like, did you not keep up with her? Um, she wasn't in our family. She was married in. And once that divorce happened, there was no contact with that rest of the family. It wasn't allowed. Yep. But the very person that cut off that contact is the one that told me about it in a very snarky way two years after the fact, knowing how much it would hurt me. Yep, that was intentional. All the deaths, all the deaths around us have been intentional. It has all been snarky. It has all been just, so like at this point, I just shut myself off to it. And that's why I'm kind of, 
I've honestly never really been scared of death. I've always kind of thought death is a friend just because I've kind of been around it so much. The car wreck, the self-harming, the unaliving ideations, like whatever, you can piece that all together. And at this point, me and death, we're walking hand in hand. What up, buddy? It's today. You know, like that's that's the relationship me and death have. But at this point, because of all the no contacts that I've had and all of the non-death processing and loss processing, I don't know how I how I would react, especially to someone that like I just don't know. I don't even know what that road would look like for me would I be able to handle it like I just and that's how I try to justify it the lack of telling and the whatever I that's how I justified it for so long is that everybody around me was just trying to protect me yeah that's not their right yep and that's what caused this most recent no contact. Is that I had to find out two weeks after the fact on Facebook that my grandmother had died. No, none of us were in any of us. We're super close with them. But it's the fact that our grandmother died. Mm-hmm. I thought we had, me and the person, had a completely different relationship. But here's a picture of all of y'all sitting at the table after the funeral. Everyone but me. And then when I took a screenshot of said post and texted, and I was absolutely distraught. And not even over the grandmother that had passed because I mourned that relationship forever ago from no contact. Yep. I was mourning the current relationship that I just was the rug was ripped out from underneath me when I sent the messages and tried to ask and phone calls I was met with silence finally a couple of hours later I get a text message oh I'll call you soon two weeks goes by that didn't stop them from texting and going and facebooking and their world didn't stop but mine did. I was punched in the face. But that didn't matter. My feelings didn't matter. Our household feelings didn't matter because it wasn't just me that it was ignored. It was Jacob as well. Mm -hmm. But now that the block button's been hit, oh, Jeannie, you should just unfollow so they can see you but you can't see them. No, that is not a justification. No. Commenting on a Facebook post after three months of no communication is not trying to reach out. That is trying to save face on a social media platform. Yep. Let's just call it what it is. And the fact that my right of being able to process that entire situation was just ripped out. It was ripped out from underneath me. That entire process, the entire thing, I lost like six relationships in that process. Mm-hmm. I'll never I understand people withholding that information. 
my sister and I had to tell our mom that her mom died a year and a half after she died. Like, I just, I genuinely don't understand. I don't either. And I think what I was feeling when you were saying how they all did their thing, right? They all went to the funeral. They all did all this and they left you out. And this may be projecting, but it felt like you were going to process differently and they didn't want to deal with how you were going to process. So they just wanted to all do it how they, they all felt how they felt and you were going to feel differently than they felt. And they didn't want to deal with that. Yeah. There you go, Miss Pam. Why? And that's selfish. Vinny's so emotional. It's not your right to determine how I am going to react to a situation. Yes, I'm emotional, but why does it always have to be that I'm pushed to those strong emotions? Mm-hmm. But then once I'm pushed to those strong emotions, which have strong consequences, I'm the bad guy. And at this point, if y'all ain't seen Bad Guy on Netflix, you need to watch it. It's a cute little cartoon movie. I'm the wolf. Who's, he's the bad guy. He'd be stealing stuff. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know what? I like when people call me a good boy and this makes my tail wag. You know what? I'm gonna be a good guy now. So he goes to good guy classes and he genuinely has a heart change along the way, but everyone around him still perceives him as this carnivorous beast. Mm-hmm. You know what? If you want me to be the wolf to your red riding hood, go ahead. I'd rather wear that than the cape anyway. At this point in my life, I have been just the puppet to so many people around me that I don't know how to walk without the strings. Oh, that hit hard. Yes, it is hard to walk without the strings. And people don't want to talk about, especially with loss, how when you have not, much less life alone, when you have not been given those stepping stones of how to deal with and how to process, and they are just continually, those, you know, situations are continuously ripped away from you. But I'm the bad guy for not really having a feeling or an emotion around this like how make it make sense yeah it doesn't make sense that's that's the whole thing you know I feel like I think often about how I'm gonna feel if I find out my no contacts died how do you have you so we've talked about how you you know I've already processed this did you process it to the point where you've thought that far and you and you've accepted like what if that happens yes that's why when the situation when I saw the pictures about my grandmother dying I haven't spoken to my grandmother in years and for I'm the one that originally found her after we had had no contact with her because our dad cut off that relationship when we were kids mm-hmm. like I mourned that relationship years ago so her dying she had she was dead to me in a sense like years ago so I there was no none no part of that emotion was around her death and I'm sure that makes me sound just absolutely heartless but no, it, it is what it is <laughs> yeah my emotions around that situation were the fact that not only two weeks had went by with no communication all of a sudden there's silence and then that silence was met with excuses 
Well, two weeks later, when you gave me that time of silence and then the excuses come, I've already had two weeks to process. Well, motherfucker, here we go again. Mm -hmm. So at that point, like my most recent contacts, no, it's, I'm, I still kind of have some hope that in some sense, some things will change. And I feel like that's kind of common for everybody, especially when it's fresh. Yep. But my ones that are a couple years old, please don't come knock on my door because you're not going to get, you're not going to get the answer nor pity. You're not, you're also not going to get the same punching bag if you come knock on this door. The ones that I have been no contact with for a few years, I have already processed how I would react if I got the phone call that they had died, if I even got the phone call, because I don't need the phone call. Mm -hmm. At this point, no, I am not the one that just randomly checks in on their Facebook profiles and stuff. Not anymore. Used to be. Yep. You have no, someone randomly sent me that picture of uh, my no contact parent. That gave some feels. Why? It was out of nowhere. I was not expecting it. And to see how rough they looked. Yeah. Was gut-wrenching. It was so gut-wrenching to see someone that I just had on this major pedestal in my life. For it to have crumbled so long ago, that still added a crack. It yeah. hurt. It hurt to see them hurting. And, you know, at this point, people will question, well, why aren't you still mad at them? Because I processed that anger. I don't want to carry that with me anymore. That was heavy enough on its own. And if you had asked me two years ago how I would react if they showed up to my door, it would be a completely anger-filled different response than my answer today. Yeah. You know, it. but if I got the phone call that they had passed away today, I honestly, I might shed a tear or two just simply because at the end of the day, they're my parents. I can tell you as someone who's lost a parent who was never in my life, it was in a strange relationship, it still broke me. Yeah, like I feel like I will probably still have a normal human reaction, like because at the end of the day, that's no matter what the narrative is, like, yes, that is still my parent. And mm -hmm. it broke my heart to see them not doing well. It did. It honestly did. So I do imagine that if I got the phone call that they had passed, that I'm sure it would upset me. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't stop my world from spinning because I processed that years ago. Yeah. yeah. It would just be like the final signature on the document, like done. Right. It's, it's officially done. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think do you or do you think you would process someone that was in your life differently now than you would have before? That someone that's still in my life? Yeah. Probably. Um, I still have some. So, for example, 
Jameson, my two-year-old, fell in our living room a couple of weeks ago and busted his lip. We thought he hit the co uh, coffee table, but we think that, and the pediatrician even said that, like, his little bottom tooth kind of like, and his lip, yeah, blood everywhere, oh my god, it was so bad on me, on him, Jacob, the entire time, like, reminded me so much of his mom in that moment, was just, he was doing everything right, like, you know, we need to call so-and-so, we need to do this, but he was very emotional throughout the process, instantly when I heard that scream it was like a light switch went off and I just was in let's go mode and I just picked him up and we went immediately into the bathroom and I got a wet washcloth and we put it on his mouth and I turned around and got the first aid kit and like there was no emotion it was just we've got to do this 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 and this three hours goes by between us getting it stopped getting in touch with the ER pediatrician texting them sending pictures doing whatever that we're like, all right, we're going to be okay. He's good, blah, blah, blah. Three hours. And then I shed a tear. That's the CPTSD, babe. Like, what happened? It was like, just it. Wow. And that still really throws me for a loop. So that part of the processing really makes me question, especially when, you know, my husband's been crying the whole time and not a weak man way. I really wish that I, that would go away, yeah. but because my husband has been crying the whole time and I haven't, it's like, what's wrong with me? Like, it makes me feel like I love my son less because of it. Like it makes me feel and in reality, that's not the truth. I'm glad you know that. Took a long time to get there, but I do yeah. know it now. Yeah. Everyone processes stuff differently. Like, you know, someone's going to go to the gym. Someone's going to want to go to work. Someone's going to want to take the day off. Yeah. Everyone is entitled to however, however they're going to process it. You know, I, I think it is important to take some time and to sit with things. Like, I'm really proud of you for, you know, you said you guys slowed down, slowed down for a few days when you were trying to like, gain your bearings but then once you gained your bearings you just you picked life back up and you just you do but it is really important to have that time to sit with and know how you feel and learn and listen to your body your body's going to tell you what you need you know and I, I'm just really proud of you for getting to this point because it can be so easy to just shut things off once you've done it it it's just always kind of there. It's always an option and it's not, it's not healthy. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's really not healthy to turn off. It saves people's lives. Absolutely. But you know, on a continual long-term basis, that's not great. You have to find a way to deal. You have to. Yeah. yeah. With all that, Miss Dow, what do you hope everyone takes away from today's episode? I hope that everyone takes away knowing that everyone's going to grieve differently. Whatever you need is okay. Some people may not agree with that statement, but whatever you need is okay. And give space to people who are grieving. Not absence. Don't make people sit alone in their feelings. 
be there and provide a safe space, a non-judgmental space just for them to just feel and not be left alone with those feelings and not know how to process them. Even if you don't know how to help them process, just being a person, like I said about my friend who came over after my other friend passed, like it, they didn't do anything. They didn't say any magic words. They just provided a space where I knew I was safe to feel whatever I needed to feel in order to move forward with life. What do you hope that people take away? Uh, just to build on that, learn how to be that safe space. Even if you don't know how, or even if you've never had it, you can be it. And living, walking proof here. Like I, we talk about this all the time that the person I was a couple of years ago, like Jesus Christ, she should have been in a mental, mental institution. She should have had a muzzle on, like I was a rough human being, a byproduct of my trauma. And I let it consume me. I let it. But one day I woke up and I was like, I don't really like feeling like this anymore. And then the next day it was like, man, this sure is heavy. And then a few days later, it's like, you know what? Let's set just a little bit of this down and see what that feels like. And then you just have a snowball effect. And am I saying that every single day you're going to make change? No, 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 no. I'm still learning. And this, this journey for me honestly started two years ago. And we're just now getting to this point. And it's, you have to learn to just be still and be safe. Learn to be still and just be. Yeah. Wise words from a wise woman. I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. I love you too. Oh, love all of you listeners. Love you guys so much. We'll catch you next week. Mm -hmm.